Good morning. So as we're worshiping today, one of the things we're doing, and I shared this last week, but I need to touch on it again, is we are asking for a knowledge of God to increase in the room. If you're familiar with that term, just those three words, knowledge of God, all through the New Testament, it is a key commodity through which we are born again and through which we grow and through which the nations are healed, the knowledge of God. Because in Him, in Him is everything necessary for life and godliness. So, Father, today we say the knowledge of you is the solution for our challenge today. The knowledge of you is the solution for what vexes us today. The knowledge of you is the solution for our city, for our culture, for our nation. The knowledge of you. And so, Lord, as we worship you, we say, Lord, we want to enter into the manifestation of who you are. And we want to say through every word that we, we speak that you are worthy to be praised. In you is life. And you are worthy to be praised. Can we say that? Can you stand with me today? Thank you, Lord. Let's worship him. Let's just pause there for a second. Let me tell you something what worship is about. You know, when you go to a sporting event and you're hoping for a particular team to win, and when your team scores a goal, what happens? What happens in that? You know, it's a home game. The home team scores. What happens? People go crazy, right? Celebration. You know what worship is? Worship is stepping out of time and viewing God scoring all the goals. You know, worship is actually where we're pulling ourselves out of the challenges of this day and what is not at present time and going to that place outside of time where God is and all things are under his control and suddenly coming into that awareness. We should naturally be exploding with celebration. And that's what faith does. Faith brings you into a mindset of eternity. Faith brings you into, out of the temporal, into the eternal. It causes your mind to align with what is and whatever shall be, which is God on the throne, gloriously enthroned. Can you say amen? So, Father, as we worship, we pray that the victory that is assured... Lord, that in the way that you are going to crush Satan under our feet, that we would have a revelation, a revelation, a revelation that it is done, it is finished. It is inevitable. And I pray that the joy of that victory would fill our minds and hearts today as we worship in Jesus' name. You know, as we're worshiping God, what this is is an opportunity to experience eternity now. Jesus said in Romans 17, 3, he said, this is eternal life that they might know you. To know God is to experience eternal life. And earlier this week, we were talking about Romans 8. And there's a passage there that says that the mind set on the flesh, the mind set on the natural is death. And that mind cannot, that person cannot please God. And so there's two things going on here, not only pleasing God, but accessing the goodness of God. Now, uh, Kathleen, come and share your testimony. Kathleen just came up and shared her testimony about a breakthrough that she's having in her life. And it's something that's not just available for her. And it's not just out of this particular circumstances, but whatever you need, there's an answer in God today. Okay, so I'm going to try to say this without crying or anything. I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, you guys are finding out this way. But I've been struggling really bad with depression to the point that there'll be nights that I can't breathe because the weight is so heavy. And Joel's had to physically lift me out of the bed just so that I could start breathing again. And on our way here... Today, Joel's just like, what if your dance was the breakthrough for your depression? And I was like, you know what, I think there's something to that because whenever I dance, 
the depression lifts and I can breathe again and I can I can see a future and not just darkness and heaviness. And so I released it today and I was like, God, if this is, if there's something to this, God, then let it be that breakthrough because I'm so sick of dying on the inside. And so I really believe, I mean, it lifted. It lifted and I could, I could breathe. And so I really believe that there's something there about when you're struggling with depression, anxiety, self-harm, anything, entering that, entering that threshold into God and learning just how to be there all the time is that, is that opening and I'm still learning it. I don't, I don't know how to be there constantly. But even just telling you guys, I know that I'm not going to be always just stuck in the darkness. And so, yeah. Amen. Thank you. Bless you. You know, we could say this, that Christianity, faith in God, is a kind of holy escapism. It actually is the way that you rise above the affairs of the earth when you see what's possible. In the presence of God is where you see possibilities. In the presence of God where suddenly you realize that you are not anchored to the difficulties or the circumstances of your present place. And, you know, it's not by accident that when you travel around the world, and as you know, I've been all around the world, you go to a place like Bangladesh, and the people are locked into an existence that's temporal. They cannot see past the immediate two feet of their life. They can't envision. They can't project. They cannot. They are locked into a lifestyle and a world that has chained them to that moment. And what faith does, and I learned this as a young Christian, That when I worshiped God, suddenly the weight of those things just began to fade. And I I realized that, wow, this is is actually the answer for me personally. This, and I didn't realize the theology of it for a moment's day, that the mind set on the spirit is life. And that mind can please God. And that's what God wants. Listen, you have a choice to either dwell upon The limitations are believed for something higher, and it's faith that causes that higher thing to come down. Can you say amen? So, Father, today we determine that we will worship you. We determine that we will set our minds upon you, that you are the answer for humankind, that you are the answer for the social problems, the depression. God, the disease that is upon the minds and souls of Albertans and Canadians. God, that you are the answer, and we declare that we will enter in. Now, that's not a new testimony. We've been saying that over and over and over and over and over. And sometimes, you know, we get get some counseling ministry in the church, and sometimes we think, wow, you know, those poor people that don't have counseling ministry, what are they going to do for their depression? You know, it's great to have counseling ministry because that's an offshoot of an empowerment that comes from God that equips people to help others. But you know what? In the absence of people to help you, God is there. Can you imagine that? How about that? What if God could intervene in any place at any time? Man, that would be amazing. Can you imagine? I'm going to share a couple of things here. How many of you have been in social media recently? Have you noticed it's not all a breath of fresh air? Anyway, I want to read two scriptures to you. One of them is in 1 Corinthians, and then I want to talk about something for a few minutes. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, and in this chapter, we're going to see something around how uh, faith and love are, are, are agree with one another. 2 Peter 3 says this, 
knowing this first, that there shall be in the last days scoffers. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, you said you sent your word and healed them. And Father, so uh, we not only receive your word, who is Jesus, but Lord, we receive the rhema today, that prophetic word that you would speak to us. Lord, we, we open our hearts today and we say, Lord, do in us what you need to do in us today through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. So 2 Peter 3 talks about scoffers. It says, knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. Not that there weren't, you know, scoffers in Noah's day or, or in David's day or in, you know, really all down through history. But it seemed that scoffing is going to accelerate towards the end. Walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So keep that in mind, and then I want to read verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. As you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Here is the characteristics of love, and you're going to see right in this passage that love and faith, they, they sort of bump up to each other right here. Why? Because love and faith are aspects of God's kingdom, They're the ways that God works. God works, God is love, and God believes. You know, when God created the worlds, he spoke. And before he spoke, he believed, right? So God operates by that kind of faith. By, the wor- by him and by that word, the worlds exist. But here's the verse. It says, bear all things, believe all things, hopes all things, endures all things. These are the things that love does besides all the others that are there. Why is this important to us? Because there is a, there's a kind of skepticism and, and cynicism that parades itself as wisdom on social media today. And I find a lot of Christians, I mean, I don't expect that unbelievers would be necessarily any different. I mean, it's great when they're not skeptics and all the rest of that. But at least for Christians, we should not be of that ilk, right? I mean, we should be above the fray of that. We should be at least, at the very least, striving to represent the ideals of love. Love that believes, love that hopes, love that trusts, right? But I, I see this flavor of skepticism, and I was thinking the other day, and I, well, actually the story in question was a prophetic word. Now, if you spend a lot of time either listening to Elijah List or some of these prophetic streams, it's like there's a new prophetic word every day, and you think, you think man, we, we should be living in complete bliss, you know, according to all these words. And there's reasons why words don't come to pass and et cetera, et cetera. But I noticed that there was this flavor in all the comments. And one in particular was like, yeah, no. It was a, yeah, no. I've heard this before. I've heard this before. I've heard it too many times, in fact. And, and what I felt in, in that, that post was a kind of cynicism that we need to protect ourselves against. That, that kind of cynicism, though it has a certain sense of wisdom to it and well this is just i'm just being real here right this is what you're i'm just being real here no no no. because reality as we know it as christians is not defined by the circumstances that lay before us but by the reality that is defined by who god is and god is and what he said right because god lives outside of time and that you were created before time and god saw your form before you were made, and he numbered your days and wrote them in his book as when there was yet none. So all of these happened before time. That means, that means everything that we're going to is effectively outside of time already happened. Now, that wasn't invented by Einstein. That was discovered by, you know, scientists looking in, you know, the concepts of time and energy and all the rest of that. But God made that reality happen. We live in a box that's called time. God lives outside. And faith enables you to access eternity. Faith enables you to think outside of the box of time. And so when, we're, when, when, when somebody is prophesying or saying something about what is from the perspective of God, the scoffer takes that into the present timeline and says, yeah, well, yeah, but how long? And, of course, the scoffer makes all kinds of errors, the first of which is, is measuring it according to our timeline, you know, to which Peter says later, he says, listen, they neglect the fact that uh, one day to the Lord is a thousand years to us. 
And so, you know, I'm lo, I'm coming soon, or I'm coming quickly. You know, maybe it's in terms of uh, definition, not exactly accurate from a human standpoint. It's accurate from God's standpoint. So, what is? But what is this? This cynicism. I begin to think about it, and particularly the. I, I see this sort of stance that certain people take where there's a sophistication in their cynicism that, you know, I'm not easily beguiled by false and empty promises like you people. I am not naive. I am, I am my, my aloofness, my detachment, you know, from the circumstances and from the, you know, uh, passing joy you're experiencing over this prophetic word that may not come to pass is the evidence that I am, you know, more sound than you are. And there's this sort of elitist superiority that scoffs at faith, that scoffs at optimism, that scoffs at those who easily trust. I want to say that love is not naive, but love trusts and love believes. Love trusts and loves, love believes. I started thinking about that kind of skepticism it passes itself off as wisdom. And I was, I was thinking about it this way. Um, the, the, the pride of skepticism hides behind a seeming accuracy. Now, I, I thought about it later this morning, but I thought if I were to put uh, a target up here, like, you know, four feet across and put a little bullseye in the middle, and if we were trying to hit that bullseye, the bullseye is a small spot, and as compared to all the other spots you could possibly hit, it is less. Would you say that's true? I mean, because not only if the target's four feet, but you, you may not even hit the target. So that means here is a possibility, and here is a possibility, and here is a possibility, here is a possibility. And so, you know, numerically, if you actually compared the size of, of that, you know, put a value to that little target... Everything else is a possibility. I mean, you could hit the back wall if you're just really that bad. So there are an innumerable number of possibilities and only one in this equation for hitting the mark. So the skeptic plays the odds. You hear what I'm saying? The skeptic says, oh yeah, you're likely to miss. And he rests in a sort of sense of success that he's right more often than not. You hear what I'm saying? What if, see, the skeptic looks at you and something you're, you're reaching for, whether it's in business or in your faith or, or striving for, you know, in, in any capacity of your life, the skeptic bets the odds and says, well, the likelihood that you're going to hit that thing, the higher it is, the less likely you're going to hit it. So I'm going to appear to know what I'm talking about, appear to be sophisticated and full of wisdom by being negative because the greater odds are that you're going to miss. That's not really accuracy, is it? But the skeptic feels like they're accurate. I was thinking about this. Um, was that guy Thomas Edison? Right? Created the light bulb. I heard recently somebody else created it and he stole it. But anyway, conspiracy theories. Okay. Do you think there were skeptics around Thomas Edison in that day? Yeah, there's probably a few. Here's what skeptics do to maintain their, their tally, you know. Is, is they, they look at Thomas Edison, who apparently, folklore at least, says that, you know, failed 100 times or 99 times, you know, and, and finally succeeded. Is that, is that correct? More than that? Okay, 1,000? Okay, that's even more. So he failed a lot. The skeptic feels increasingly accurate with each failure, right? And... One, two, three, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. My negativity makes me right. Why? Because there's an innumerable number of misses possible and only one that hits the mark. But the one who believes ventures. The one who believes takes that stab. And, and the skeptic sits back and revels in the fact that failure, 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 failure. And feels increasingly smug in their scoffing with each failure. But here's the thing is when success finally does come, and it does come, then 
the scoffer, the unbeliever, becomes a believer. And now they change sides. And so they, they, don't, they don't keep tallying from that point on because, you know, I, I was right 999 times. Yeah, but if you had stayed on the side that you were and counted from that point forward, there would be billions and billions of times that you were wrong. Every time a light bulb has gone on, you're wrong. Every time a, a light turns on, you were wrong, you were wrong, you were wrong. But no, but I, I have shifted sides magically because I am a winner, says the skeptic. See, skepticism, that kind of, it's actually inherently evil. Cynicism. It's a product of a diseased heart, hope deferred, that has gone into bitterness. Now think about this. Put, put skepticism, that cynicism in this context. My children, where's Max? Is Max here? He's so beautiful. Oh, he's in the nursery. That's too bad. You could have beheld his beauty. He's my latest grandson, number four. Uh, when Max started to learn to walk, imagine if there were scoffers looking at him and believing that he would do it imperfectly. Betting, scoffing, he thinks he can walk. What an idiot. Does it strike you as uncharitable? Yeah, wicked. But we would never do that in that context, right? Because it's obviously contrary to love. Well, let me say this, that all that kind of skepticism and negativity and pessimism and cynicism is not compatible with love. Love believes, love hopes, love trusts, love ventures. Love is willing to have egg on its face, believing the best for you, even when you falter again and again and again. This is what Jesus was saying. When, how many times do we forgive? And he said seven times 70. So, you know, you just go on and on. Why? Because love gives everybody another chance, another chance, another chance, another chance. That's why I think that we should be the most positive people in the world. And so what we're saying is this, first of all, skepticism is bad. It's a destination that you don't want to go to. But if you want to know how people get there, you have to discern the path. Where does it start? Where does that path start? And it starts with what the Bible calls hope deferred, hope deferred. And I can't spend all my time here defining what hope deferred is, but it begins when you, when you set in your mind a goal and it's not realized and you make determinations based on that failure. See, if Thomas Edison or anybody who's done anything in their lives ever had done that, we would be locked in the same realities that those poor folks in Bangladesh are locked in who have no hope, who have no vision, who have no outside perspective. And so uh, we have options today. Now, you think, well, just knowing those options is not necessarily going to help you. But what it does, it, it warns you off that end. Have you felt yourself, you know, becoming a skeptic at different times? Have you felt that negativity sort of trying to creep its way into your being? Well, it's a cancer. And, uh, and again, I, the answer is drawing near to God. Because every good and perfect gift comes from above. The possibilities, the range of possibilities that are imminent, that are available, that we can't miss, are right there. And faith opens that door. When you set your mind on God, it begins to open something up. That's why the Western civilization has had so much ingenuity and creativity. It's because of God in our midst. Worship has opened up a realm of possibilities that the rest of the world those that haven't had the chance never will get unless they begin to worship God. Father, I thank you for 
your word. And I want to say today, Lord, that uh, we want this. We want this love. The love that suffers long and is kind, the love that does not envy, the love that does not parade itself, is not puffed up, the love that does not behave rudely, that does not seek its own, that is not provoked, that thinks no evil, love that does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth, love that is so strong, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love, this love, never fails. Never fails. So, Father, today as we uh, consider our lives and what you're doing in us, I pray that, that uh, it would be clear what we want and what we don't want. I pray that today we'll be disposed to be against the negativity that it's creeping like a cancer across our culture, a culture of death and destruction, and that, Father, you would make us uh, pinnacles of life and hope in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's, um, there is a, a sense under which, uh, particularly, again, you, you brought up social media, particularly on social media where mockery is an argument, right? Where simply mocking something is the only argument you have to make. You don't actually have to refute what's being said. You don't actually have to prove anything. All you have to do is belittle it. And that's that spirit. That's that mocker. You know, the Bible goes on to say a mocker stirs up a city. Mockery is very, very effective. It actually is. It's incredibly effective. What it does is it makes us feel superior when we come into alignment with it. Okay, so I mean, I, I remember listening to a radio show not that long ago, and uh, they had uh, a particular person on the show who was espousing a particular point of view on a policy of some sort. I'm not going to go into the details on it, but you know, the the uh, the radio host had taken this interview, and then as soon as they'd signed off, they simply mocked it. They simply went, "Yeah, like that would work." That was it. Yeah. Like that would work. And everybody, yeah, that's a dumb idea. What's that? You've got this idea that's been placed on a table. People could look at it. They could pull at it. They could say, well, what, you know, where, where, are the, where are the problems with it? Where, what could we do to bolster it? Maybe it is a bad idea. Whatever it is. But that, that pure mockery that just dismisses something out of hand. And as Christians... What you'll find is that's something that we're, that we're going to increasingly see happen with our own stands, right? So, do you believe that the earth was created by God? That's a dumb idea. Science has disproved that completely. That's stupid. Well, you're a loss. That's what a mocker does. And here's the problem. A lot of other people go, well, yeah, that's right. Ooh, man, I don't want to don't be associated with that idea. That's a... Whew, that's going to just make me look like an idiot. That's the power of mockery. It's incredibly powerful. We don't want to join with it. We don't want to come into that spirit at all. There is discernment. Don't get me wrong. There's tons of stupid ideas out there. <laughs> right? That's, that's not what Pastor Mark's talking about. He's not talking about having to believe in bad ideas. But it is coming into pursuing God, asking for the wisdom of God, and then dealing with things in love. And what i got to tell you, if you say something that's just clearly bad, I mean, it's just clearly to me wrong, to me, <laughs> okay? If my response is to write you off, there is no love in that. If my response is to rally support for writing you off, there is no love in that. But when my response is to come alongside and to, and to hear you out and to even let you know, you know what, I don't think I agree with that, but I love you anyway, the chance that we can actually even come into alignment together, maybe I'll be persuaded a little, maybe you'll be persuaded a little, whatever it is, the fact is, in love, there is relationship. In love, there is an ability to hear, to even understand the heart of something at a deeper level. So... Yeah, in the end, let's not join in with the mockery. 
you know, if you're, if you're looking at a post and you're seeing, you know, somebody said something on Facebook and there's all these people ranting about it, don't join into that. Even if you disagree with the post. Let's not join in with the ranting. Let's not join in with the mocking. Let's take a higher path. Amen? Maybe that's the point where we can bring this full circle to uh, the difference between fathers and siblings. I don't know if you ever noticed that siblings tend to mock one another, especially the younger ones. Uh, you know, but the difference between fathers, fathers believe. And when a son says, I'm going to be an astronaut, the peers, the, the siblings may mock. But the posture of a father or a mother should be, yeah, you can do that. I believe you can do it. If that's what you want, you could actually do that. That's love. You know, now, again, the chances of you, well, if you say, well, I'm going to be prime minister. See, the higher the goal, the more likely you are to be mocked. And there's, there's, some, there's some comfort in retreating to a safer place. Maybe that's what we've done as a church, is we've retreated again and again to a safer place in order to avoid the mockery. And that's actually another thing I was saying about in prayer this morning, that you know when you look at who you are today versus a street person, basically when I see a street person, I see somebody who has been affected by deferred hope to the point that they... They dialed back their expectations one after another, one after another, until the only ground they feel they can keep, they can hold, is only inches away from the ground that I'm standing on. The only thing I can hold to is this cart full of stuff. The only thing I can hold to is this bag of things that I walk around with in the inner city. That is the result of coming under that mocking spirit and deferred hope. And what God has said is that, no, I've made you for something more than this. I have made you to, to own this creation and to, to govern it. I have, I have made you to dominate. And what faith does and what love at work in us does is it gives us a larger and larger and larger parcel of land that we believe we can manage. And, and the more redeemed we become, the more that that God ability to manage and rule uh, begins to surface in us and begins to materialize in our business, in our workplace, in what we take on versus what we don't take on. And so, and to me, that is apostolic kingdom ministry. And that's part of one of the challenges we have as Christians and part of the challenge we have when, when I say, hey, let's pray for these nations over there. And some of, some of us cannot bring ourselves to think or even pray that way. Why? Because I'm not even sure I can be Christian by this time next week. So to, to go there would be artificial and not authentic in any way because I just don't believe that I have the ability to influence something that far away. I am just trying to manage this moment. And what you need is God to open up the world of possibilities that is hid in him, that is available in his love. And what his love does, it redeems you to be able to believe, to be able to expand your borders, your tent pegs. Because then you'll be able to endure, believe, trust, stand in the midst of battle. So right now, oh, I was, I was thinking you might stand up. Yeah, just, just for a few minutes. I think the dawn is rising. Now, this is something that I have felt since February, and I've felt... Um, that it's very hard to release this because what Mark talked about, while you might think, well, this is kind of surfacy, maybe, there's actually something much deeper going on. There's something much deeper that the Spirit of the Lord wants to release in this day. There's something actually much greater that is dawning that we haven't seen 
yet. And I know when you start talking about like this, there's lots of people that talk about great things coming and harvests coming and dawns rising. And it's like, well, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen the dawn rising yet. I haven't seen the harvest come yet. I haven't seen this in my lifetime. And it's very easy to let go and pull back and fall back into the thing of like, ah, it's just another day and one day, I, I just don't know. And that whole the part of the street people pulling back into that lone corner of depression, hunkered down, thinking, I have no way of escaping. I have no way of getting out. And I know when I look around, not just in this place, but out in the world where I'm at all the time, I see people in that corner. I see people in that darkness. I see people under that cloak. And I want to stand here today as an ambassador of heaven that says that cloak is about to be removed. That cloak is about to be pulled back and there's a light that is about to dawn in this day, says the Spirit of the Lord. And if we will open our eyes and we will embrace that light and if we will stand and gird ourselves with the cloak and the tunic of righteousness, I'm telling you right now, I believe it by the name of Jesus, I believe it from heaven. I believe that it is coming to this day that there will be a harvest of epic proportions. There will be a harvest 10, 60, 100 fold that the world has never seen. But it will take something in our part as believers. It will take faith. It will take us standing and wearing this robe unashamedly and saying, Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords and I will stand with him. I will not let go. I will not hunker back into the corner any longer. I will run towards the light. And I'm telling you, for this church, but across this nation, that if people would see that light and run toward it, things will start to fall into place. I can see it. I have faith that that is coming. I have faith that the new dawn is rising in this day. Believe with me. Believe with the Spirit of God and say, yeah, I'm letting go of that other thing. And I'm saying, yes, I see it. Yes, I believe it. And yes, I want it now. In Jesus' name. Now let's just stand up for a second. Let's just stand up. When we were taught to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, to what capacity? To what level on earth? As it is in heaven. What we are shooting for is not just a little bit better than yesterday, but we are shooting and asking. And this is what faith does to say, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're not waiting to heaven to have a better scenario. We are actually, our prayers and our faith is on earth. Lord, make it on earth. Can you pray that with me right now? Lord, make it on earth. Right now, just speak it out. Your kingdom come. Your king. If you have to think in the context of your own life, then say it in the context of your own life. Whatever the sphere that you're in, whether it's your business, your family, your job, your kingdom come. Lord, I believe for better things. I believe for the light of the day. I believe that the true light is shining and the darkness is passing away. I believe in possibilities. I set my mind on things above. I say, God, you, you will fill the earth with your glory. And it will be known. Amen. Amen. You see, when you see a prophetic word about good things on, on social media, what it's talking about is that hope, that endless series of possibilities that is available in God. And when, when uh, Jesse began to prophesy that, did you feel that igniting? Igniting, igniting. You know, when you pull back the veil of cynicism and unbelief and show it for what it is, and then you hear a prophetic word about possibilities without the light of unbelief, suddenly... Boom, yeah, stirs something in you. So, Father, make us a people who believe. Right now for Alberta. Father, right now for Alberta. Right now for Alberta. Lord, 
right now, given that we have some political figures with us right here, right now we believe for Alberta as the church, Lord, we believe, we say, God, the darkness is passing and the true light is shining. Lord, that you are building this province and the people of this province, God, into something the world has never seen. Father, we pray that this province would be filled with God-fearing, God-loving people full of wisdom, that new industry, new creativity, new inventions, entrepreneurship on a scale this province has never seen, that it will spill outside of our normal industrial circles and paths. Father, we say, open up. We prophesy to Alberta, we say, open up. Open up and be what God has called you to be, what God has put in the heart of the forefathers and those who prayed and crisscrossed this land and said, this is Alberta. We say yes and amen. Hallelujah. We contend for that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Now have a a seat. Um, We have uh, the Honorable... Jason Kenny with us here today, who uh, I'm told by Jeff likes to be in church on Sundays, and so I don't know if he's ever been to a, you know this style of service, but uh, we're certainly glad to have him. Yeah, he is a believer. He is uh, fighting for, you know, when when it comes to the political world, not everything is going to align completely with what you want. But you know, when you're thinking of who do you want to speak for you, that's the beauty we get in a democracy. We get to choose who speaks for us. And and so we, we look for those people that align in as much as possible. And, uh, you know, there, there are things I believe that we are contending for as a church that's being contended for by uh, leaders in the political circles and business circles. And there's a lot of things going on right now that are highly important to us as Christians. The erosion of parental authority the frontal attack on on Christian education today, uh, we are at a precarious point, and uh, and so this battle needs to be waged on a number of different fronts, uh, not the least of which, uh, of course, is spiritual. Um, you know, because the world is shaped by faith. You know, the world is exists by the un, because of the unseen. What is seen is made from the unseen, so we can influence that through prayer and faith. But at the end of the day, somebody has to do the groundwork, and somebody has to make things happen. Somebody has to put in, you know, if we want education, we've got to have teachers, right, Kiki? At some point, it's got to, it's got to have an expression. So uh, I just want, uh, can, would you come and stand with me? And I want just to introduce yourself, tell you who you are, and what we're going to do is we're going to pray for him. And we're going to uh, bless him. And we're not making a determination. Right now there's a, a move to unite the right, you know, in terms of the wild rose. And Brian Jean is a wonderful man of God and loves God and is a great Christian. Uh, and he represents much of the way we believe, as does Jason. And we're not making that determination, but we're saying, God, let your wisdom prevail. And do whatever's necessary for righteousness to gain a, a, a greater foothold than it's ever had in this land. So uh, please say hello. Good morning, church. Thank you, Pastor. And uh, I can see this is a church where the Holy Spirit shows up, yeah? Thank you, Pastor, for the, and, and to you and, and the other pastors for your, your powerful words this morning, those of us who work in the political vineyard, work, we are surrounded by cynicism and naysayers uh, uh, every minute of every day. So this was, a very, this was a word directly to my heart. Thank you for that. Two weeks from now, we'll all be celebrating the 150th anniversary of Confederation. Uh, we used to call it Dominion Day. Now we call it Canada Day. But you know why we call it Dominion Day? Because the actual name of our country is not... Canada. It's the dominion of Canada. Now, do you all know where that comes from? Exactly. So, uh, Jeff, my former MP colleague here, he knows the scriptures. When the fathers of confederation were gathered at the Quebec conference in 1865, they were wrestling over, should we, what should the model be that describes the aspiration, the, the, the fundamental value of this country? 
And one of the fathers, Sir Edward Tilley, was doing his morning scripture meditation. He's reading the Psalms, the 72nd Psalm, and he came across this passage that he shall have dominion from sea unto sea and from the wide river unto the great ocean. And he walked from his scripture meditation to that meeting of the Fathers of Confederation and said, this should be our motto from dominion from sea unto sea, ad mari usque ad mari in Latin, and we became the dominion of Canada reflecting God's dominion in Scripture. Now, what I just said, if I said that on the Twitter machine, <laughs> would invite vicious cynicism by people who don't understand because they've never been taught the true history of our country. They don't know that the first words of our Constitution, you can, if you don't believe me, Google it right now, the preamble to the, char- to the Constitution of Canada says this, whereas Canada is founded upon principles which recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. That's not my opinion. That's the, that's the preamble of our Constitution. When, we, when Jeff and I, my, my colleague here, would walk into the Parliament of Canada, we would walk under the uh, stone archway of the Peace Tower in which is inscribed the words from Proverbs that... Uh, 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 the he who doesn't, a country that does not have vision, in a country that does not have vision, the people shall perish. And then on, when we stand and sing our national anthem, we say, may God keep our land glorious and free. So these things, and by the way, you should sometimes read the French version of O Canada if you want to. Uh, we are people born in a vision of a country that understands our freedoms and our rights have no explicable basis unless we are creatures endowed with inalienable dignity by our Creator. As it says in the words of the Declaration of Independence, we are uh, th- that all men are created equal and are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, amongst which are the rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Those are sort of the founding words of democracy. Pastor, I just share this with you because in this cynical world, where people of faith are marginalized, mocked, and ridiculed, especially those of us in faith in the political sphere, we need to understand that this is who we are. We are people, we we are a country, yes, a free country and a prosperous country for a reason, because we believe in that human dignity that is stamped on us by our Creator. So never apologize for that. And I'll just, one other word, um, let us remember always, those of you who come to church here, probably do it maybe a little bit out of habit, hopefully out of love, but you don't really take your life into your hands in doing it, do you? Uh, today, there are millions of Christians in underground churches in China, in places like Pakistan, and in Indonesia, in the Middle, throughout the Middle East, in northern Nigeria, in Kenya, around the world, where there are Christians who took their lives into their hands today to gather in prayer. And so, le- so why do I say it? First of all, to pray for them to keep, and, and to find practical ways in which we can express our solidarity and faith with them. But also, so that we do not take for granted the freedom of religion that we are blessed with here in Canada. There is a school board, if you can believe it, in East Central Alberta, right now, Battle River of all places, which is trying to force a Christian school literally to edit the Bible. Yes, to excise passages from the Bible that are, deleed, that are deemed politically incorrect. To change Holy Scripture in a full frontal violation of religious freedom. Now, I don't care if it's the scriptures of, if it's the Hebrew scriptures of our elder brothers in the faith, our Jewish brothers and sisters. I don't care if it's Islamic scriptures, the scriptures of the Holy Book of any faith. To, to, for the state... To violate the scripture of any faith community is a gross violation of freedom of religion. So don't believe that this is just happening overseas. We need uh, to stand uh, in defense of those freedoms that 130,000 Canadians died for in the last century defending. So in two weeks from now when we celebrate Canada Day, let's be mindful of all of that and let us uh, demonstrate through our active citizenship our gratitude for living in this Dominion of Canada, where he has dominion from sea unto sea. Just stay, just stay right here, Jason. All right. Um, 
I'm g- just get ready. Our elders are going to ask you to come forward. We're going to pray for him. And, and Jeff, you can join us as well. You know, I, a few years ago when uh, Stockwell Day was, was uh, putting his name forward in that era when the House of Prayer was being established in Ottawa, we sat in the balcony one day and the Lord had talked to me about what, what I call natural witchcraft. You know, witchcraft is not a religion. It's actually a work in the flesh. And that means it is, it, is, uh, it is innate in the fallen nature of mankind. And I remember sitting all on the balcony watching the question period and the stuff that's not only the mocking but the, the atmosphere. It was, it was horrific levels of witchcraft. I thought, I, thought, I thought we as the church faced a lot. I'm telling you, the political world is more inundated with witchcraft than anything we have seen. The, those are, the, those are the, unbelievably the front lines. And so people of faith and conscience, uh, whether they agree exactly with us or not, uh, need our prayer, need our blessing, need our faith, need us to help take that, that intimidating spirit of mockery off of them so that they can stand and speak for us. And so what we want to do is we want to bless him. And again, you know, if, if Justin Trudeau were here, we would bless him as well. We are praying for people so that they can resist those forces. Some are resisting them greater than others, but uh, we need to help in this. Amen? So leadership team, why don't you come forward? And if you, everyone that's in the congregation, can you stand and just reach your hands towards uh, uh, th- these, these men? Father, we want to thank you for what you are doing in our nation. And we believe, the Lord, that uh, those men of conscience and faith that you have raised up to labor in this vineyard that is the political world, we pray in the name of Jesus, God, for a blessing. We pray that voices of encouragement, voices of intercession, voices that would break the scoffing, mocking spirit, that would try to intimidate them into silence, that they that would cause them to fear losing their place and their role and their influence. God, that, Lord, uh, an anointing, a Cyrus anointing, an anointing, God, that that is a wrecking ball that can go into these political, cor- politically correct scenarios and say what needs to be said without fear of being crushed and annihilated. Lord, I pray that not only an assurance, but an anointing to do so would be upon them. Father, we bless those leaders that you have called to work in this sphere. And we say in Jesus' name, we stand having your back. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Bless you and thank you for your service. Amen. Happy Father's Day. Yeah.